Thank you, guys. I'm used to getting up after news, so it seemed it is slightly different getting up without the news. Um, great to see you all here tonight that you've made the effort to come out. You know what? Traditionally, men's nights aren't as well attended as women's. You see it in big churches, in small churches. In Bradford, they do their ladies' event. They get about 7,000 women there. They do the men's, they get about 2,000. So they're the kind of ratios you're dealing with. So to have so many guys turn out for the first one we've done of this format is great. But listen, if you know me, if any of you know me, you'll know that my attitude, I'm like, I, I don't care for that crap, that statistical stuff. I'm not interested in that stuff. As far as I'm concerned, why can't we have a church where we get more men turning out for events than we do women? Well, why can't we have that? Shouldn't that be the case? Shouldn't that actually be the case? Shouldn't we be the ones who are leading and who are setting the example? Not, uh, listen, none of this, n- nothing tonight is kind of, it's not about competition between men and women. As far as I'm concerned, men and women are just different. God's made us different. I've got a wife and three daughters who I love. I'd give my life up for in every single way, shape and form. But there are differences between men and women. And it's good to get together, isn't it? Good to get together as guys. Listen, I, I want to speak to you tonight about a, a powerful topic. Many of you will know my background. I didn't grow up as a Christian, grew up in an atheist home and grew up as an atheist. I was thinking about, you know, I don't got any funny examples to give or anything like that. And I'm not really, that's not my purpose tonight. I'm not really so into kind of setting out. But I'll give you a couple of things just to give you context when I remember a few things. One was when I was about 11 and just started high school. And just to give you an idea where I was at from a faith and spiritual perspective. So the, the Gideons came round, as they do. Anyone had the Gideons come round to the school? And, you know, everyone knows about the Gideons. And little, little red Bibles. They handed them out. We all got one. And I remember walking out of the hall and standing there with my mates and going, little red Bible, ripping it up in front of them. Well, actually, I've joked about this before. I I tried to rip it up, but I couldn't because it was so well (laughs) kind of done, which was really embarrassing, to be quite honest. The the abiding memory I have of that, actually, is none of my mates were Christians or believers, as I I knew, to be fair. But there was a look on the face of, like, you know, "Mm, that's just wrong. You shouldn't really be doing that. There was, you know, but that was where I was at. I don't say that to glorify it. It was where I was at. I wasn't a Christian, didn't believe in God. And I, I, I wasn't, I, you hear a lot of people will talk about an anger in God. Someone got in touch with us a, a couple of years ago to, uh, it, with the church, and they were saying, you know, I'm just kind of, I don't believe in God because I'm too angry with him. Well, how can you not believe in God if you're angry with him? There's a, you know, there's a kind of paradox, but that wasn't what was going on with me. I did not believe in God. I think deep down I would have wanted to, particularly when I wanted things. And, you know, if you're not a believer and you're kind of praying, even though you don't believe, we've all done that if you've ever been, if you've been non-believers yourselves. But I didn't believe in God. And it was only when I met someone, a mate later in years gone by, who was, and it got me thinking. But my life was reckless as a young person. I, I, I was it, just living wild parties, taking drugs, all of that stuff. And I don't really want to go too much on about my testimony, but it is relevant. And it's relevant in this. A lot of the things that I was doing in my life were actually quite confident. 
we were taking, the, the rave scene had just started, we're going back kind of early, uh, late 90s, and ecstasy and all of that stuff was, was in, and that was the thing, and people were dying taking ecstasy. It was in, there was reports all over the place, people were dying taking ecstasy. We were going, me and my mates were going to all night raves, we were going to Glastonbury, we were having parties in my house. My house was, if you were there, in, in that area where I lived, was actually the place to be. There was that many people coming to it. We used to have the neighbours complaining. And when I say the neighbours complaining, I don't mean the neighbours on either side, I mean down the street complaining. This is no, <laughs> no joke. The music was that loud. I had a guy, a mate who was a, a DJ, and he used to bring all his DJ gear down, and we'd just have it blasting out till all hours of the morning. And if that wasn't the case, we were at raves and, and all of that stuff was going on. And to take ecstasy at that time was a risky thing. We got to the point where we were taking heroin, me and uh, a friend. And, but there came a moment when I became a Christian. And there was a stark difference that I noticed in becoming a Christian in my life since becoming a Christian and my life prior to being a Christian. And it was around confidence. And I want to talk to you tonight about confidence as the lights go off. <laughs> Quality. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Can everyone still see okay? Do you want the house lights on or is that okay or what? Is that okay? Yeah, it's cool. So I want to talk around confidence because the difference was, if we just talk for a moment about my life before being a Christian, my confidence before being a Christian was a paradox. That's what I've wrote in my notes. It was a paradox because I, had, I was doing things that, were that took incredible confidence to do. I was stepping out in things I was doing, not just in bad things, but in good things as well. And I was doing things that took incredible confidence to do, yet at the same time, I had the exact opposite of confidence. I had fear, I had self-doubt, mistrust. They're the kind of three essences of the opposite of confidence. And those things were evident in my life. And the moment, the very instant that I became a believer in God, and I don't want to get too into the, how it happened, you can feel free to ask me afterwards if you don't already know, but I, I, I had an experience not even in a church, so I hadn't even been to a church at this point, didn't believe in God, and I was just hit by what we would call, if you don't really know what this means, but we would call it the Holy Spirit. And in a moment, in an instant, my eyes were opened to God, Literally, in an instant, I would say this. I would say that I, God, he was revealed to me. I wrote this in my notes as well, and he's still being revealed to me. But what I would say is that in all of, that I've learned about God in the last 20-odd years, since that moment, I learned more in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, than I've learned since now that might sound odd, but I don't mean I've not learned stuff that I needed to know since. What I mean is the power that God can do in a moment, in an instant, was incredible. I went from not knowing anything about God to suddenly having a complete and utter confidence in God. Completely and utterly. In a moment, in, as it says in the word, in the twinkling of an eye, I suddenly was transformed I remember waking up the next morning and opening my, bed, my curtains and looking out and seeing two people walking down the street. And, and it wasn't even, it wasn't a thought process. It was just an instant thought of, oh, God put them there. 
They're not just there by random chance. You know, like the, everything, everything around everything. God is, is there. He's in everything. Everything that goes on, he's got his hand at work in everything. I knew that in that moment, in that instance. I had such confidence in God. And even though I didn't even know him at this point, it was two years before I stepped foot in a church. But what I discovered or what I have discovered since that moment, and I, I think this is something that is, is particular to guys, is that I realized that that confidence in God, that it doesn't last, that it can go. And that sounds controversial, doesn't it? That that confidence in God doesn't last and that it can go. It doesn't have to go shouldn't go. And in fact, I want to argue with you tonight, well, I don't want to argue with you, but I want to argue the point or argue the case that actually we can have that utter confidence in God. It's kind of impossible, but actually it's possible. We can have utmost confidence in God and we can live lives that are completely confident in God. I haven't done that and I wish I had, but I've learned over the last 20 years that you can. And I've learned some tools and some things around what we can do to be completely confident in God. And I would go as far as to say this, I'm more confident in God today than I've ever been at any point in my life. I am utterly confident in God. In some ways, in, in some areas, in some situations, it can come across as an arrogance. And we've just done something called Five Minute Fridays. Me and Vicky, we just put it up on YouTube. Little plug there. We've got a new YouTube slot going on, Five Minute Fridays. Check it out. You just Google Five Minute. Jeff's already seen it and commented on it. That's good. Um, it's something we're going to be doing each week. Answer your questions in five minutes or less. That's it, end of, you'll enjoy it, check it out, see what it's like. But we've just done that and I talked about a little bit about this, not to the depth I'm going to do today, but I talked about it not being an arrogance. I, I want to go back a little bit on that, backtrack a little bit and say that it, in some respects it is a little bit of an arrogance. It's not pride. It's not an arrogance or a confidence in yourself in your own ability. It's a confidence in God. So a confidence in God, I sometimes find myself in situations where people get, can get a little bit annoyed with me because they're kind of coming out with the doubts and, and this and that and the other. And, and I can see the frustration that I'm causing them because I'm like, nah. Nah, <laughs> it's not happening, we're, just, we're doing it, it's happening, it's going to happen, it's going to be fine, don't worry about it. And this like, whoa, hold on, but we need to sort this out, we need this and we need that, we need to, I'm like, and you can kind of see on the other person, but I can't lower my level of confidence in God to kind of match other people. Sometimes you've got to upset some people along the lines, just we don't do it intentionally, it's not the goal to upset people, is it? A paradox, fear, doubt and distrust what is there to trust in as an atheist? Went all scouts then, didn't I? <laughs> what is there to trust in as an atheist? That's a bit more acceptable, isn't it? A bit less scouts. 
What is there? There's only yourself. Apparently, Messi is on a goal drought. He's gone four games without scoring, and that's a goal drought. It's the longest he's gone in six years. Now, I don't know Messi. I don't really know that much about him other than as a footballer, and I love him as a footballer, but I don't know whether he's a Christian, what his faith is. I don't know nothing about that. I've never really looked into it. But I can tell you this, right? If his faith, if his confidence, rather, I should say, is in himself, he'll be struggling. I think it's ended his goal drought by the way but if it's in that he would have been struggling in that goal drought if his confidence is in himself and his own ability or in Barcelona or anything else other than God he will have been struggling in that goal drought if his faith and his confidence is in God he won't have been in fact if he went the rest of his career without ever scoring another goal he'd be fine he might be disappointed, obviously. I'm not saying he wouldn't be disappointed and he wouldn't be down about it, but it wouldn't affect his confidence. Because confidence in God, it's different. It's not a confidence in yourself and in your own abilities. As a non-Christian, as a non-believer, what do you put your confidence and your trust into? Do you put it in yourself? Because I know that I used to let myself down. That's why I used to doubt. That's why I used to struggle. Because I knew my own weaknesses. I knew that some days I was top of my game, other days I wasn't. So what do you do? What do you trust in them? If you're going to go into a situation, you're going for a job, you don't know whether you're going to perform well in the interview. And I was generally good in interview situations, but I always knew I could have a bad day. What do you put your confidence in? Do you put your confidence in others? Other people will let us down all the time. Anyone being let down by others here? Am I alone in that one? <laughs> I've probably let you down. <laughs> All right, <just> calm down. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but my confidence in God has been developing ever since it was revealed to me. And it's an event and it's a process. It's both. It's an event, it's something that happens in the moment, but it is a, a process. And I want to tell you this, this is really important, right? If you struggle with confidence, we, we're guys in here, aren't we? I know there's a few women at the back, but hey, welcome to the women. Thank you for all your help. Incredible. We really appreciate that. Thanks for the applause. It gave me a breather for a moment. That's good. Right, so there's this, there are some differences between men and women. You might have noticed. There's a few in there. We've got a doctor in the house. There are differences. <laughs> One of the differences you will notice, you may or may not like it, you may or may not agree with it, it's just fact, is that culturally and generally in the world, men, the, 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 the weight, if you like, the responsibility of confidence tends to lie more with the male than the female. Now, you might not like that. You might disagree with that but it's true. I'll give you an example. When women post pictures, one of the things, not all women, but a lot of women will do, not all, okay, is they'll go for that kind of, you know, that, that um, gullible look, that kind of, oh, I need a protector kind of look, and that's considered attractive. That, this, is, this is just truth. Not always. I'm not trying to make, you know, say this is always the case or whatever, but with men, it's more confident, and that can be a problem for guys, because if you don't feel confident, there's a great weight of expectation, whether you like it or not, to live up to an, a, a level of confidence that feels like we should have. 
Anyone know what I'm on about? Yeah, I'm, so I'm not just speaking into the darkness here. So there is a weight. There is a, a, an expectation on us to be confident. And I want to speak into that. I want to speak into godly confidence and what that is, what that looks like, and, and how do you get it? Because here's the thing, right? It's not something that some people are just born with, but others don't have. Godly confidence, godly confidence is a process, not just an event. If it's only an event, it won't last. It is a process. It is something that is developed. It is something that is worked. It is something that is forged. And I want to talk about forging. There's a great manly word. We're going to forge godly confidence tonight. Anyone fancy doing some forging tonight? Let's get the welding gloves out. Let's get the fire up the coals. Let's do some manly forging tonight, okay? We're going to forge godly confidence. I've got to drop in a football analogy. I won't do any current. I'll go to the past for it. There's a footballer called Tommy Smith. You may have heard of him. He was known as the Anfield Iron. Shankly famously said of him, he wasn't born, he was quarried. Because he was, he was, yeah, anyway. But I want to tell you this. Godly men, confident godly men are not born. They are forged. They are forged. Think about that. They are forged. And I want to give you three points around that. Three points around how godly confidence can be forged. Not forged as in faked but forged us in, in the fire, that manly forging stuff. We've got to do a little bit of manly stuff, haven't we? We can be confident. You can be confident. I want to stop for a moment. Will you stand with me for a moment? Just, just, just for a moment. Just call it an experiment, whatever. This, this, is in, this was in my notes to actually do this. I really felt I was preparing for tonight to do this. And I know... Rod, it was funny, as Rod was doing his act and he was getting people to think about things, I was like, that's brilliant because I, I, I want to do a, an element of that. I wanted to pray for a moment, right? But I want us to do a particular type of prayer. I, I, I want us to pray, I want you to ask God for a vision. To ask him for what he has got for your future. That could be just in the, in the very short term, maybe you know your life goal and your long-term plan. Maybe you know where you're going and, and all of those things, but none of us know the full picture, do we? Some of us all need, you know, that, that short-term thing, or maybe you don't know the, the long-term thing. Maybe you don't know. I didn't know for years what I was, what I was going to do, and then when it came to me, it was like, I get it now. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for, for God to speak into your life, for, for, to hear it, what it is that he's got for you, to see it, even feel it maybe. Come on, just pray with me for a moment. Just pray maybe under your breath, out loud, whatever. Just pray and you, just think for a moment. Imagine, imagine what it would be like if you had utter godly confidence that the, all the godly confidence that you could possibly have, that anything that God asked of you that you could do, what would it look like? 
What is it that God would want you to do in that situation? If you could do anything, if you could do anything that God asked of you, what would he ask you? What would he be calling you to do right now? What is he calling you to do? Ask him. Ask him right now. It says in the Word, if I had such faith, it says in Corinthians, move mountains and all kinds of incredible stuff. What if you had that confidence and that faith that you could do anything that God asked of you right now? Anything. What's he asking you? Take a seat when you're ready. You might want to write something down. Some of you in here need to write that down. You need to get your phones out. You need to write something down. It just comes to you right there, right now. See, my old confidence was inconsistent and fickle. My confidence in myself, my confidence today in myself is inconsistent and fickle. I've been preaching for maybe getting on for 20 years and I still worry every single sermon about getting up here and preaching that it's going to be a load of rubbish that I'm going to forget what I'm going to have to say and you name it all of that stuff my confidence in myself is inconsistent and it is fickle but my confidence in God you see he will never ever let us down he never ever fails Ever. My confidence in God is sure and certain because I know when my confidence is in God, He can't let me down. And He can't let you down either. What we need to do is we need to develop that confidence in God. That's what we need to do. And I want to talk about three areas that we can develop confidence in God. And, and I want to talk about, I want to use the word forging, to forge, not forge as in fake. Let's just remember that, okay? Forge, as in, it was only when, <laughs> when I suddenly realized that word has two meanings. <laughs> not fake. This is not fake it till you make it. This is utter confidence in God, us forging it like men forge. First one, three things. Is it when you forge something, you are forging something that is strong. Strong. I hate it when preachers do this. Everyone say strong. strong. Oh, man, I don't very often do that, but strong, strong. When something is forged, it is being forged because it needs to have strength. If you want to have confidence in God, then you need strength. You've got to have strength. You can't be confident in God and be weak at the same time. It's not possible. Confident men are in God are strong. They are strong. They are naturally strong. They have an inner strength. And God wants us to have that inner strength. In fact, the first name of God, his primary name, Elohim, means strong and mighty creator. And we are created in his image. We are created in his image. We are meant to reflect him and be like him. Two main attributes of God, well, three really, but let's focus on two of them, are strength and love. Almighty, he is called. He is the almighty and he is all love. And those two things are contradictory. 
The stronger you are, the less loving you appear. And the more loving you are, the less strong you appear. But God manages to do both at once because he's God and he can. And he gives us the strength to do the same. And we are to follow him. And the way we do it is we keep raising the strength and raising the warmth. Raising the strength and raising the warmth. The more strong you become, what do you do? You become more loving and more warm. The more loving and more warm you become, you become stronger and stronger and stronger at the same time. We work on both. The third attribute, if you're wondering, is, is truth. God is truth. Simply truth. They're the three main ones anyway. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 put this up for you, says this, Paul says to Timothy, he says, for God has not given us a spirit, God has, has given us a spirit, Paul's telling Timothy, he's not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but he fortunately goes on to tell us what spirit he has given us, he's given us a spirit of power, that sounds strong to me, yeah, come on guys, you can be vocal, Think of it like we're at the footy or we're at the cricket. Oh, no, not cricket. No, that's not going to work. Is it? Polite clap. Bahamia, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Power. God has given us a spirit of power. Anyone want power? Anyone thinking, uh, thought in the past we're not meant to be powerful as Christians? It's not what it says here. We're meant to be powerful. In fact, we're not just meant to be powerful. We are naturally powerful. We've been given a spirit of power. We've been given a spirit of love. Just touched on that, on that power and love. And the third one, I love this one, self-discipline. Different translations put it different ways, but it effectively means a sound mind. The, this is the essence. This, this verse here is the essence of confidence in God, of that strength and that power, because it's powerful, it's loving, and it's a sound mind. So it's not arrogant in a way of, look at me, I've got all this power. I can go and use it for my own ends. It's like, no, 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 I've got all this power and I've got all this love. Hey God, what do we do with it? What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do? How can I, how can I best affect this world? How can I live the best life I can possibly live? And let me tell you this, if you're living your life only for yourself, you've failed. This is the essence, this verse, of true confidence, power, love, and a sound mind. The second one is that when you forge something, it needs to be successful. That's what something that's forged, if you look it up in the dictionary, something that's forged is successful. It does its job. It's forged to do its job. So it's strong enough to do it. Think about, you know, uh, an essential part of a bridge. It's got to carry weight of lorries and all that kind of stuff. It's got to be successful. If it fails, people die. As Christians, the, one, the second essence of confidence is we are successful. We achieve things. We do things. God calls us to do stuff and we get them done. We are successful at it. And here's the thing, right? Successful at what? What are we to be successful at? See, the world, if you work in an environment where they talk about goals and all of that kind of stuff, one of the phrases that they'll use aims, 
smart goals, targets, all of these words. Yeah, we're all getting these aims. Yeah, Zed's going all around the room, yeah? Fed up at them. Right, I want to give you a different slant on it as Christians. Instead of thinking of goals and targets and aims, right? Dreams. Think dreams. Stop for a moment and think dreams. Think about dreams. You know, Jacob, any, any of you ever dreamed something, you, that, that you could do something, that you could achieve something? God's given you a dream and, and you're all excited about it and then someone's come along and crushed your dreams. They've spoke death over it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. They spoke death over your dreams. They maybe hated you for even having the dream in the first place. There's a famous character in the Bible who went through exactly that. Anyone know his name? Joseph. He dreamed a dream, and his dream, right, it, it was grand. In fact, his very first dream was, his very first one was incredibly grand, or the first one that's recorded anyway that we know of, and he presented it to his brothers. We all know how that went, yeah? yeah. Anyone been there? I have. He presented it to his brothers, and his brothers not only attempted to crush his dream and trample all over it, they wanted to kill him as well. Anyone know what he did in response to that? He dreamed a bigger dream. Joseph's second dream was bigger than his first. Joseph was crushed by his first dream or by the response of his brothers that he attempted to anyway. And he, uh, he, he doesn't come across as arrogant when you read it. It's hard to tell really where he was at with it. But he went back again. Maybe he was young, maybe he was naive, but he dreamed a dream. They attempted to crush him for it. They plotted to kill him. They hated him even more. And do you know what Joseph's response was? To go and dream an even bigger dream. And God fulfilled it, both of them. When someone crushes your dreams, when someone tries to trample all over you and, and what God's given you, you know what that's called to do? Not to rec recluse and go back or, or kind of, you know, think again or maybe I can't do it. it. You know what that is? That's a prompt to dream a bigger dream. That's a prompt that your dream isn't even big enough. Now, little rider, because don't come moaning to me when this happens, right? <laughs> Use wisdom with who you tell and, and what you do with it because you will create, you can't live a, you know, a significant life without significant problems. Are we all aware of that? Significant life, significant problems, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand, but God gives us the answer to all the problems, every single one. Amen? We have dreams and visions. And the saying is true, you have got to have a dream. They attacked Joseph for his dreams in a vicious attempt to crush them and to kill Joseph too. But the Bible says this in Genesis 39 verse 2, when Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers, most of whom wanted to kill him, one who tried to defend him but was unsuccessful, it says this in 39 verse 2 of Genesis, the Lord was with Joseph so he succeeded in everything he did Every, come on guys can we get an amen uh, uh, if we were at the football right now yeah all right maybe not some of the, some fans in the room today but hey you know I'm <laughs> sorry hey I didn't create the situation anyway in <laughs> 
The Lord, seriously, Genesis 39, verse 2, after trying to have his dreams crushed, you could criticize Joseph. You could say he was foolish to go and share that dream with his brothers and with his dad and all of that stuff. I don't know. It's not my place to judge him. Who knows? The Bible says this, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. I'd rather be Joseph, dream a dream, be attacked for it, and, and be successful in everything I do because God's with me than to never have dreamed in the first place. If I go down in flames, at least there were flames. Come on. <laughs> Become a bit of a strap line. I don't intend to go down, by the way. I go down anyway, by the way. Anyway, third one, third thing that you need. Something that is forged, what it needs it needs endurance. Something that is forged is forged to last. It's not a temporary thing. You don't go to the effort of forging something because you're only going to use it for a day or two. There's a whole lot of work and energy goes into forging something. You only do that if you're doing it to last. To last. Shakespeare said, A coward dies a thousand deaths but a courageous man only one. And what he means by that is that, here's the thing, right? When we fear, when we are scared, when problems come and and we get, get down and we start to worry and get anxious, your brain cannot tell the difference between your imagining failure and the reality of failure. It feels exactly the same. So every time you imagine failure, you're living it. You're experiencing it every single time. Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is. Every single time you imagine failure, you may as well have failed. Because it's as if it's, all ju- it's just happened to you. And if you imagine failure an event 20 times before it happens, you failed 20 times. You failed 20 times before you've even had a go at it. Anyone realize this? whoa, this room's gone quiet. Come on, guys. Think about this for a moment. Has God called us for a spirit of timidity and fear? Has he called us to be anxious and worrying? Doesn't it say in the Word, didn't Paul say, we're to be anxious over nothing, not a single thing? Are we not meant to be strong and courageous? Didn't God say to Joshua to be strong and courageous? Doesn't he say that to us? We are called to endure. When you set your mind on something, when God gives you something to do, it is going to be tested. It has to be tested. I had an argument with someone years ago. I probably wouldn't bother arguing with them today. I, I just wouldn't even bother. And, and I talked about testing and how God tests us. And this person went berserk. God doesn't test. I'm like, you what? God doesn't test us. I'm like, what? What? God doesn't test us. And I, I kind of get it. There was a fear, this, this person, there's so much religious stuff that they felt that if God tested us, that must be a religious thing and can't be the case. But that's not the case. When you test something, I used to be a teacher, right? And when we tested pupils, despite what you think, it's not to punish them, all right? Tests aren't there to punish you, to show you where you failed or any of those things. Anyone know what I'm on about? Laurie, you're a teacher, you're doing it now. May God be with you. 
The purpose of testing is for the pupil to find out so, so, so they can know where they're at and for the teacher so that they can know where they're at. God tests. God tests us. Not in it doesn't tempt us. Sometimes people get mixed up and they think, oh, God doesn't test us because they get mixed up with tempting us. But God's not tempting. Testing's different to tempting. I'm on about testing when, when God gives you a challenge, gives you a situation or leaves you to deal with a situation so that you can see where you're at. He's never going to put you in a situation where you're going to fail, by the way, where you're going to fail such that you're going to like really fail and really it's going to be the end of the world. Sky's going to fall in. It's all over. Job done. I'm done. I'm all out. Of, yeah. Take me to the grave, Lord. As the psalmist said, <laughs> he did. The psalmist said, take me to the grave. No, God isn't, that's not his purpose. His purpose is so, sometimes you see, and, and teachers do this, sometimes you've got an arrogant kid who thinks you know everything, so what do you do? You set him a really hard test just to let him know you don't know everything. <laughs> Could be God's doing that with you right now. <laughs> he might just be going, yeah, you think you know everything? All right, let's set you a really hard test just to let you know how much you do and don't know because I need you to know and God needs to know. James 1 verse, 20, verse 2 sorry, says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, troubles, any kind. I'm taking the silence that this is really speaking to people and really helping people because I'm confident in God. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, that, might, that feels like it's hard for some of you right now with what you're going through. Let me tell you this. It's not hard if you think it's hard or you think it's easy, you don't understand what it is. It's a choice. It's not hard or difficult. It's like, do you want chips or do you want like veg? It's not hard. It's just a choice. You just say which one you want and you choose it and then you have it. It's not difficult. You might not like the choice. You might want the chips and feel like you should take the veg. But it's not hard. It's just a choice. You just open your mouth and say veg. Everyone say veg. veg. My boys at the back say veg. <laughs> They're going to kill me for that. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Great joy. In the prison cell, they were rejoicing. For you know, for you know so here's the thing, right? You actually already know this. Deep down, your heart already knows this. The problem's, n well, yeah, it is with your heart, actually. The problem's more with your heart than anything else, but anyway. But you know, you know this. You know this. Every single one of you in this room knows this. And I can say that with great confidence because I'm confident in God and not in me. For you know that when your t faith is tested, that your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Let it grow. Don't fight it. Let it grow. Roll with it. The essence, one of the essences of great confidence in God is that when problems come, when trials come, yes, you can feel down for a moment. Yes, you can be woe is me like the psalmist. That's okay. 
Do you know why the Psalms are there? Anyone read the Psalms? Anyone read the, the highs and the lows? In the same psalm, you can have like, take me to the grave now, Lord, I'm done. It's so bad. Everything's terrible. Oh, just kill me now. And then a few verses later, they're like, God, you've got it. You've got this. You're amazing. You're incredible. Let it grow. You can have moments like that. That's okay. That's feelings. Make your decisions, though. Make your decisions. Set your face as a flint, it says in the word. A flint was hard. It didn't move. That's what it means. Set your face, set your course, and do not be blown to the left or to the right. Keep going, keep going. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So if you're setting your sail and then constantly changing and you're here and you're there and then someone says this to you, so you're off that way and then someone else says this so you're off that way and you're all over the place, you've got a problem. You've got a problem, a big problem because you'll be double-minded in all of your ways and one of the, the, one of the great, great attributes we all need is consistency. God wants us to be consistent. Sometimes consistently growing, that's fine. We're all doing the best we know at the time. But verse 4 says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete. The goal is that. So if thriving men aren't born but are indeed forged, then how do we do it? We need to develop those three characteristics. But there's one last thing you need. Unfortunately, every single person in this room is already doing this, so well done. The very last thing you need, and worship team, are you guys ready to get up? Because I know we wanted to continue with it, but we're going to do that now, and we're going to rock it out. The, the thing you need, almost above all the others, but fortunately you've all got this. I, I can say again that in confidence, but it's not even so much confidence in God this, it's because you're all here. It's action. All the thoughts and all the plans in the world, they're all great, but they're all naught without action. They all amount to Zero. It's great to plan and to, you know, and prepare and, and, and be prudent and all of that stuff. That's all fantastic. But if you never act, if you never set out, if you never do it, if you never step out in faith, you'll never achieve anything. Faith without works is dead, James says. Faith without works is dead faith. Faith has action. Faith has legs. Faith does something. And you have all started tonight. If you've not already started before, you've started tonight. You've come, you've come, you've come. You could have stayed at home. You've come here to hear the word. You've come here to find out more about God. You've come here to hear more from him, to learn more about what he wants of you. You've come here because you're already hungry. You're not just hungry. You're doing something about your hunger. You're doing something about it. Just keep acting. Keep doing. It's... A, 
confident men in God, they're not born. They are forged. And when something's forged, it takes time. It's developed. It takes a lifetime, really. You've got to keep at it. There's no one got the magic bullet who's just suddenly all confident and all great. I'm not. I know I've met loads of so many great leaders. Not one of them. Not one of them is the full package. Not one of them has everything. Not one of them doesn't have failures and mistakes, things that they're not ashamed about. Not one of them is, 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 doesn't have moments where they lack confidence. But they all keep going. They all go again. They all go back to the Word. They all keep going to church. They all stick with God. They all put their confidence in God and in Him alone. They all know that they'll let themselves down, that others will let themselves down. So what do they do? They focus on the one thing that they know will never let them down, and that's God, and that's God alone. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never let you down. He is always there. He is always faithful. He is all power. He is all love. He loves you. He loves you. He is for you. He is working for you. He's working behind the scenes for you in your life right now. He was preparing this message for you. He's preparing what's coming in the days to come. Everything, he's getting it all ready for you. He's doing it out of his love and he's doing it in his power. And he's true. And he's true. He never lies. He's not a man that would lie. He never lies. He is true to his word. He will never let you down. You can trust him. Put your trust in him. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in others. Don't trust the markets. Coronavirus? I don't know. It might be gone in a couple of months. The markets might go up again. Who knows? Are you going to put your trust in the markets? Are you going to put your trust in your job? Are you going to put your trust in in people, in promises of others? Those things are all facts of life that we have to work with. But don't put your trust in them. Put your trust in God and God alone because he will never let you down. Amen? Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. See you, man.